And we're back, Stripe Show Podcast. Thank you for making us part of your day. It's an instruction Thursday, and uh, I'm fired up for this one. Been working on it for a while. We're going all things short game, in particularly putting, and joining me just happens to be one of the best at it. Eight-time winner on the PGA Tour, part of NBC Sports, joining me from uh, his studio there with uh, look at those putters and those bags and the and the backdrop there, Mr. Uh, Brad Faxon. Can't thank you enough for joining me. Travis, thank you. I'm, I'm glad we finally got to put this together. Uh, it took a while. Yeah, well, you know, my uh, my audience, um, they love a lot of things. They love all things golf. And, of course, there's no shortage of storylines uh, when it comes to uh, professional golf these days. But what they really love um, is a little coach speak, you know, and looking at some video and, and breaking down not only what the best players in the world do, you know, but also some things that they can apply to their game. And, and you know, putting and short game is something that uh, that they can do. You know, they can apply some of the things that we're going to talk about pretty easily to make more putts, develop their short game. <clears throat> and there's some things happening in, in, in today's game that I talk a lot about on the podcast. And I want to get your perspective, and we'll get into some of the specific strokes, you know, some of the things that we're seeing with Tony Finau, um, with kind of his unique approach now in putting. Scotty Scheffler, of course, is going through some things right now with his putting. Um, and uh, one of your students, Rory McIlroy, I want to talk about getting an update on where he is as he tees it up out there in Pebble Beach. But I want to start uh, with the Open Four. PGA show was last week down in Orlando, and I actually watched it on the plane. I was flying in from the West Coast, and it was perfect timing. We took off, and the Open Forum started. And then when we landed, it ended. It was like the absolute perfect timing. So I got to watch the whole thing. And I got to see you um, up there on the stage where you were with uh, Joe Mayo. Um, you were with uh, James Ridyard, Park McLaughlin, some others. And you guys really, you know, got into kind of some of the short game debate that's really been sparked from Joe and some of the work that he's done um, with Victor Hovland. And I'll put up here for our audience. And we've talked about this, Brad. You know, this is the top one sequence when you look at Victor. That's what he was doing before, say, in like a, you know, a 20, 30, 40-yard shot. And then on the bottom, um, you can see a difference in in how his upper center would really, you know, go left. And he would hit it with more shaft lean and, um, and those types of things. Leading edge a little bit more on the ground versus some of the more modern instruction that you would hear from Ridyard. In McLaughlin, which is, no, let's utilize the bounce. Let's make it a little bit cleaner at the bottom where we don't have to be as precise and get the leading edge off the ground. As you were up there, and I thought your perspective was great, and as you kind of reflect back on that discussion, I'm curious, what were some of your takeaways um, from that uh, great debate that was at the Open Forum? Travis, I've been um, lucky enough, or maybe unlucky enough, to go to the Open Forum, you know, the last few years going to the PGA show, I've, I've sat on a couple different panels. And this one I was not supposed to sit on. Chris Como kind of, I don't know if he, he strongly, if I would sit up there while um, Mayo was up there. And, and also on the panel was Frederick from, you know, the head of Trackman mm-hmm. uh, and head of Ping. So the guys that are there are much smarter than I am. You know, I'm kind of late to the game in this instructional side. And I certainly knew who Joe Mayo was before Victor Hovland. I knew of his nickname, Trackman Maestro, and, and how he learned 
um, to teach better. And, and Travis, I think that these top teachers um, that know so much, coaches, whatever you want to call them, um, they, they like to say, well, why guess when you can measure? Um, mm-hmm. When you, you, it makes a lot of sense in a lot of ways if, if you're going to try and measure somebody's swing and whatever it is that you're measuring. But I don't think we'd ever seen anyone before Mayo um, use TrackMan data for short game in the way that he did. And I mean, I admire what he did for Victor Hovland. Hovland had been an incessant tinkerer um, with lots of coaches, um, kind of apologetic at how bad he was about the game. And, and really, it was kind of fun to watch, even when he didn't hit a good shot, because he was so self-deprecating. Um, but he, he kind of catapults it to one of the best short game players. Um, and I think we saw that, we, well, we did see it live at the Ryder Cup on the first hole when Hovland hit um, his chip shot from the right fringe where he would have putted that a thousand times out of a thousand a couple of years ago. And he holed it to start, you know, the Europeans' uh, way to victory. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think what Mayo's done is, is he's made people think about uh, the way you can hit chip shots um, with, like you said, a lot of shaft lean, sometimes 10 to 15 degrees of forward shaft lean, uh, a double-digit angle of attack into the ground, using words mm-hmm. like uh, spin loft or vertical swing plane uh, to help in his instruction. And I think you know anybody that's hit a nice shot from the fringe, when they hit it low, when it's spinning and it gets lots of juice and checks up quickly on a dime, that's one of the sexiest shots in golf. <laughs> and everybody wants to do that. And, you know, we never knew things like launch angle under 30 until kind of recently in the golf world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and certainly equipment's changed a lot. And I think I mentioned on that panel, Travis, you know, I, I'm 62. And when I first got on the tour, um, I, I still played a lot with Hubert Green and Seve Ballesteros and Raymond Floyd, Tom Kite, guys that had incredible short games with all kinds of technique that they had. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I know that Joe, with his, this is the way you have to do it, has really upset the instructors, coaches that are more normal. And, and I would put more normal with Parker McLaughlin. Brett Rumford, uh, James Ridyard, who was up there as well, uh, to James Seekman, um, where it wasn't so drastic. It was like, you know, when you show these pictures of Victor, um, his head moves forward in the backswing almost a foot. You know, it's, it's mm-hmm. a massive amount. Um, and, you know, Joe's, I think what his, you know, one of his biggest points, Travis, is he, he doesn't see... Um, any chipper come to him that's hitting too far in front of the ball. You know, it's always behind. It's always low points back. So he's trying to get center of mass, center of gravity of everything forward uh, to hit that shot. It feels, it's interesting, and, and, and the debate was uh, was really good. You know, I, I, I thought it was handled really well uh, with everyone up there. And I was really happy, actually, Brad, that you were up there, even though you maybe you didn't want to be because, you know, it's interesting in today's instruction world. And you, and you mentioned 
you know, why guess if you can measure? And I think there's certainly a, a huge uh, learning curve for myself and others when it comes to the measurement. And it's taught us so much. And Joe is a leader of that. But it almost, um, it feels like, and I was texting with a couple other teachers as I was flying watching this. It, it's like, you, you know, are we pushing out great minds that maybe haven't measured in the past and, and maybe won't measure as much in the instinctual side of the game, right? Because just because you measure and you show it to a player doesn't always lead to better results in the future. And we're going to talk about a couple of those examples here a little bit into the show. Now, for Victor, it did. Uh, Victor, I think, needed to get a little steeper. I think Victor needed to have the conversation perhaps of a little more leading edge and the examples of Jordan Spieth and Scotty Scheffler that maybe hit hit shots more like this. Um, and so I think in Victor's situation, his analytical mind, maybe um, his thirst for knowledge, it, it fit. But I don't think every player is that way. And and I And I feel like my question to you is, as you come out of your playing career and, and now you're an analyst and you've, you're on these panels and you kind of see where our industry has gone from the outside, are we, you know, just because one maybe can't speak to the number, can't speak to um, the lower and upper vector and spin loft and vertical swing plane, which is all great education and maybe is not speaking in those terms, um, that that voice is becoming less important. You know, it's, it's, it's less valued perhaps to the industry because they're not speaking those terms, but yet we all know there's a balance to performance and there's a lot of players that can't think that way and don't need all that technical aspect or conversation. It's right. You know, there's, you know, we're, we're, by the way, we're talking about short game and you can do all this measuring and obviously the full swing and putting. Hundred um, percent. Yeah. To verify it, but what I the point I was trying to make is, if you look over the greats over a long time frame, there were so many styles that worked, uh, and there's a certain artistry to it, isn't there? There's an imagination, mm -hmm. creativity, and not once was that brought up on that panel discussion. You know, so from exactly now into this coaching world. I'm still trying to figure out what's more important. And, and if I were going to speak on a, a topic, I'd like to say, like, uh, my topic would be how to talk to a tour player. And I don't think there's many players like Victor Hovland that want to hear um, vertical uh, swing plane or spin loft or angle of attack necessarily. Now, Victor has spent a lot of time with different instructors like Lucas Wald and Dana Dahlquist before he went to Mayo. I would say Justin Rose would be in that camp where he wants to see all the data. Um, and I, I remember sitting at lunch with Rory <clears throat> after the Ryder Cup, and I showed him a video of Victor's um, pitching motion from behind, whereas you could actually see his head move forward. And Rory was like incredulous, like seeing that much. And I asked him, I said, do you want to measure your, um, your chipping numbers? He goes, I don't really have any interest in that. And this was soon after yeah. maybe one of the greatest chips you've ever seen at the Ryder Cup. Remember left of 17, the par three, um, kind of had that 
shot from below the level of the green on a little down slope and hit that low spinny shot without taking a divot. Um, and, you know, so, so there's different ways the great players like to think. And, and I'll tell you just a few days ago, Travis, I went over to the Bears Club before Rory was going to go fly out to play this week at Pebble. Um, and I just had my quad out. I was hitting some chip shots. Um, I had the new SM10 58 degree. Um, and I'm just kind of measuring my standard shot, you know, trying to fly at 12 to 14 yards, see what my normal spin and angle of attack. And I'm, I'm in the six, seven, eight range, uh, mm-hmm. trying to fly at 12 to 14 yards was in the high three thousands in spin. And it was, you know, right about 28, 29 launch angle. And Rory came out, and he had been busy with some calls. This, there was some stuff going on with the tour. And he took my wedge out, and he was totally different. His angle of attack was four and five. His swing was much longer. The face was um, way more open at address. Uh, club was steeper outside his hands in the backstroke. Um, and in a higher ball flight, uh, mm-hmm. 33, 34 launch angle, way more spin. Uh, high four thousands, um, and are you going to tell Rory McIlroy, who moved to third in the last year in strokes gained around the green, and tell him he's not correct? Yeah, you can't do that. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, I think you bring. There's a lot of good points in there. One of them is your your thoughts on most of the top players. They don't really want to get that deep into it, right? As far as the measurement and the breakdown, they they. I think they, they see the value and, and, and most of the coaches that are out there are able to provide that. And then I, and then I look at the open forum and I look at, and I, and I've been into those and I look at the audience and I see so many young teachers who are able to get into this education so early. Like when I got into the business 23, 24 years ago, like you, you know, this wasn't like a, like, um, launch monitors weren't happening yet. And so. There's been, it's easy to kind of get up to speed now, I think, as a young teacher. And since so I, I look at the open forum and I know it's kind of, we can nerd out on a lot of this stuff and have that conversation. But so much of the conversation, Brad, is geared towards the PGA Tour player and not the amateur. And like I, I talk with a lot of teachers and I say, my advice to you is, yeah, you want to learn that stuff. But the most important thing you can do right now is get out there and teach and get reps and put your hands on people and move them you know, and make mistakes and do things right, but build relationships in the art of teaching. You know, it's not about the measurement. It's about the art of teaching and getting results. All that's important. But I just feel like we're kind of, we're we're getting so far that way that I think we lose a little bit of the artistic side of it and the value, what is that you bring to the table, Brad. And I think so much of what has moved Rory forward as you mentioned, your student Roy McIlroy over the last six years, um, him coming to you and really, I think, um, stabilizing his, his putter. He's become, I think, a much more instinctual putter. I think he's become a, a, a better statistical putter. And a lot of that isn't about the measurement, right, Brad? It's not about, hey, your path is this far back and, or your stroke is this far back and through your club face is your shaft lean is this at address and this at impact. You're not having that conversation, right? It's it's more around the process and maybe tapping into some of the feels that Rory's had. Take take us back to when you first started Rory and where he is now with his flat stick. You know, the, the first time I met Rory um, for a putting lesson was in 
March of 2018, right before Arnold Palmer's tournament, and it was Monday of the week when he was going up there. Uh, I had I had seen him a month earlier at the Seminole Pro member, and, and Billy Andrade and I, who co-hosted the CBS Charity Classic Golf Tournament in Rhode Island for years, were hoping to get him to come play. And we had approached him, and he was so you know he's just so genuine, and he's he politely said, you know, I'll think about it, uh, which probably meant that he wouldn't do it. And then a month later, I was playing in a an event out in Newport Beach on the Champions Tour. Uh, and I got a call on, or a text actually from a 561 number I didn't have in my phone. Uh, and it was Rory just saying, hey, could you ever watch me hit some putts on Monday before I uh, go up to Bay Hill? And the funny thing is I had booked flights to come home on Monday from LAX to Fort Lauderdale. I wasn't going to get back to uh, my home here in, in Palm Beach Gardens until like 4 o'clock. So I wasn't going to be able to make it. So I changed my flight to take a red eye, which nobody likes to take those. Mm-hmm. Um Got home because I was excited, you know. You know, you yeah. have an opportunity to maybe speak with and help one of the best players in the world. Um, I, I took that seriously, and I got there. I was rested, and I I knew he was working with Phil Kenyon uh, for three years. I, I told him, "Look, I'm never going to say anything on social media. This is just you and I talking." And I think that kind of let him exhale a little bit because he was going up that night and was going to see Silver. Uh, see Phil the next day, and before Phil Kenyon, Rory had worked with Dave Stockholm a little bit, mm-hmm. Utley a little bit, um, and w- was absolutely a terrific, terrific player and probably a streaky putter. And there's no question, in my mind, like Phil Kenyon knows way more about the the details of the the putting stroke than I do, uh, the mechanics of the putting stroke, and. I have no doubt in my mind that Phil was telling him things that were probably correct technique-wise. Um, and, you know, look, Rory's the genius in all of this, Travis. But mm-hmm. I felt like I need to kind of unlock what was inside a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. What what could could I help him with? Um, and, you know, I, I talked to his coach, Michael Bannon, uh, who is his only swing coach he's had his whole career. A guy is one of his dad's close friends. Michael had told me, look, he likes to give Rory two or three thoughts on a week off prior to him playing and let him figure out which one of those thoughts he wants to use. Um, So I I went with that kind of plan, and and when I started to talk to him, it it was apparent to me that he he was, like most of us do when when we get bad at a part of the game, we're thinking a little bit too much about the mechanics. Things tend to slow down a little bit. Uh, Creativity and instinct kind of fall uh, to the wayside, and I started just showing him. I said, "Look, it looks like a little bit maybe of reading the instruction manual on how to do this." Um, and we, we talked a little bit about flow, um, letting the putter go a little bit sooner. Um, and within, I hate to say within minutes because that sounds sort of dramatic, but something emerged inside of him that that rhythmical athlete on the putting green. And it was really kind of like time to stop talking. And there wasn't much talk that day about mechanics. And and I'll give you an example of, of, of why you've got to listen as much as you've got to speak. You know, when I got there, Rory had said he wanted to go back to a 34-inch putter. He had been using a 33-inch putter for a few years. And it was a putter that he had won his last major with. Um, and I'm like, 
Yeah, absolutely. You can use a 34-inch putter if that's what you want to do. He, he talked a little bit about feeling a little bit more open than really locked in square. A lot of great putters were a little bit open. Um, and that week, he, he went up to Bay Hill and had a kind of an off week tee to green. Well, I shouldn't say off week. Off week two days tee to green. And probably for the first time in a few years, shot lower than... Uh, scores than mm -hmm. how quality of how he hit at tee to green. And, and that's always a great feeling. Like when you, you get off the course and you feel like you stole one, uh, and the opposite would be true when you, you hit it so good and you can't seem to get in the hole. That's a frustrating way to play. You know, and Rory went on to win by four shots that week with some, mm -hmm. he was in the top 10 that week, maybe top five in strokes game putting. And, you know, these great hitters of the ball, like Scotty Scheffler and, Victor, but they don't have to have bomb. They don't have to be great putters week in, week out to be dominant. Yeah, I, I played with Rory um, at the uh, Arnold Palmer Invitational. The, um, it was before you guys started working. Uh, Raja Raja Manor with Mastercard. I was, I did a crash course with Raja <laughs> to get him to be able to play with Rory. And Raja was kind of new to the game. And so I literally, Brad, spent two hours with him two days before and two hours the next day, and then we went and teed it up. And um, funny story, it was so cold that day. And uh, we were standing up on the first tee. It was, I mean, it was freezing. And we were up on the white tee, and I look back, and I can see Rory back there. He's got his – he's just – bottled up and just see his face and he steps up just nukes one around the corner you know it's like man this is gonna be fun <laughs> watching rory all day you know hit the driver roger steps up there he got his driver and he kind of rolls it off the front and and i could kind of see you know it like boy this is gonna be a long day you know and and so he's like well give me the you know give me my three wood and i was like no no i was like just take your five iron and let's just hit let's just you know because we've been doing a lot of five iron. Let's just get one down there. And and Braddy put a great swing on it. Bust his five iron down there about 165, 70 yards. He's like, well, we get up there. Give me my three. No, 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 no. I said, just, just let's just get some go. Let's just get going. Let's just hit a club we know how to hit. He, he Brad, he rips it down there again. I mean, just a perfect five iron down there. And then I get him a wedge and he knocks it up there to like four feet and puts it in. We go to the next hole. I'm like, this is great. You know, and we had a fun day and we had our ups and downs. But I talked to Rory about the seventh hole we're walking off. And I said, hey, how's it going? You know, with with um, putting and this and that. And you've been working with Phil. And I love Phil. He's, he's a friend of mine and he's a great teacher and he's helped so many in this. And, and, and Rory's like, man, I'm learning a lot. You know, I'm learning a lot about the technique and the measurement in all these things. Um, but I don't, you know, I think in the end, like what, you know, you kind of look at some of the changes Rory made. Um, I think they did go to the shorter putter and use more square. It felt like it was a little more of kind of an arc and those types of things, which I think historically, you know, he would kind of, to your point, a little more open, kind of hold it up. It was very different, um, than maybe some of the success that he's had in the past. Um, and so, you know, that technicality side and measurement, it has its place, right, in the game. We know that. And I often tell, and I tell teachers, but it's not everything. Like, it's not everything. In fact, it's probably a smaller percentage than what you think it is, you know, in the grand scheme of things. 
working with a 15 handicap, working with a 10 handicap. If you can't sit there and look at them and watch ball flight and look at some 2D video and basic patterns that you're seeing, and you can't get in there and move the needle, then that's you're probably in the wrong business, you know. So measurement has a play. It has a it has a place, but it's a small percent. And I think as Rory made those changes and he eventually kind of evolved, you know, to you, Brad, um, it wasn't about measurement, right? It was it was about like you said, tapping into that inner genius uh, that so many of these players have. So it's an interesting conversation and one that we could go down um, a, a long time. But I, I look at some of the modern game players, you know, Brad, and I, and, and here's one that, you know, I'm a little concerned with um, right now. It's this guy right here and Scotty Shuffler. I mean, this guy's struggling with his putting. And one of the questions I want to ask you is, uh, you know, I've been listening to Justin Thomas and how he's kind of got his game back on track. And he was, he had, he did, he gave a really good interview yesterday and he, he went back and watched a lot of his old stuff. Tiger came back. I think Chris Coma did a brilliant job going back and looking at old stuff and how the, you know, that inner genius. And I, when Scotty was struggling, Brad, I did a, just a full podcast on Scotty. I went back to when Scotty was putting the best and I just put up video and pictures of Scotty when he was winning everything. And versus when he was struggling and, and, and you look at the left and you look at the right and you, and you just kind of start looking at, and there was a lot more pictures, Brad, of the old versus the new. And it was, you, it was clear, like you could see a clear difference in the way that he was going from impact to post impact. And so when I look at Scotty now, and he's continuing to struggle and I look at the changes as he made, these are some wholesale changes. You know, and you look at his setup and, um, and a lot of them are similar to what I think Rory kind of went through and a little shorter putter, a little more over it. Um, forearms a little bit more in line. I think that putter head working on a little bit of an arc looks good. I love a lot of this stuff. If I had to build a model setup, this is probably where I would take it. Um, but to me at the time, it felt riskier than considering how great he was on the left when a player struggles brad and they come to you is that is that something you consider do you go back and look at well when you were a great putter or you're a great short game player this is what you did versus now well a hundred percent and not only just looking at old film but listening to what they have done when they putted their best too um you know, Scotty Scheffler has a lot of unusual things in his golf swing, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. You watch a player that's as good as there's ever been. Um, there's things in there that you, you wouldn't and couldn't teach another player to do. Um, and I, I think I, I would love to talk to Scotty Scheffler about putting. You know, I, I know Randy Smith well, and I, I put Randy Smith in that old school camp like Butch Harmon, uh, that's a, as much a sports psychologist as they are. A, an instructor, um, and you know, it, when, when I look at players and setups, I love mm-hmm. what, some of the stuff that I just saw with with Scotty. But it doesn't look like Scotty. He doesn't look to me as is comfortable over. Yeah, like that looks contrived looking to me to, from where he was. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly with a bigger grip there. 
um, the amount of incline he has over towards the ball. Um, it, it doesn't look as, I don't know, relaxed, I think, as he, as he did to me. I, I don't know that I would have found a tremendous, you know, when I first started watching him play a few years ago, I didn't see a, a tremendous amount of things wrong technically with the stroke, but I would say technically um, he has some peculiarities, you know, the putter in the head of the club went out a little bit on his backstroke, but he did that on his chip shots too. Mm. Um, and I just watched sometimes like the way players move around the green when they're reading and holding their putter, what they look like. Um, I, but I, I don't think I could, I don't feel like I'm in a good position here to just say, this is what Scotty needs to do. Yeah. Yeah. Without having a conversation with him. Yeah. I think where, I, where I'm going with it is that it's interesting with the narrative, the narrative of modern instructions. If you, if you, you're guessing if you're not measuring. And the reality is, is that I think we both agree. And I think most instructors would agree that most of these guys, they ne- they don't really necessarily want to be measured. <laughs> you know, and most amateurs, um, I mean, 15 handicap, 20 handicap. You're telling me you got to do a full measurement on all these, all these people to move the needle. Like, you know, like it's, it, there's a place for it, but I'm just worried that we're moving down that path too rapidly and, and to get to the numbers and to the ideal and to the measurement. Right. Um, Yes, there's a there's a time and place for it, and it's helping people. But um, man, it feels it feels I don't know a little out of place at times, yeah. and uh, I'm not sure if it's the the right thing to do. And 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 um, and Scotty, man, I I just you know I look at the way he used to putt versus when he started struggling and what he's doing now. And I said it at the time, I was like, man, these are these are some wholesale changes. <laughs> you know, I mean, these are some wholesale changes. I can tell you, I've gotten friendly with Stephen Sweeney, who's another top. Player. Yeah. Um, he has a, a beautiful studio, indoor studio, close by to where where I live, and, and a lot of the players like Shane Lowry that he teaches can go inside. And um, you know, he's got quintet, he's got uh, gears for swing and putting. He, he's got video, of course. Um, mm-hmm. He can measure just about anything you want to measure, um, and. You know, the trick is, because uh, I think I, I wanted to talk to Sweeney about ideas um, on, on teaching elite players. And he, he wanted to measure my stroke. And I still can putt pretty good, Travis. And my, I'm sure. <laughs> my numbers were really good. I had a bias that particular day to be hitting slightly on the toe side of my putter. And, and uh, the putter traveled a little bit to the left after that. Uh, and these putts were still going in the hole. Um my numbers were really good, um, and the last couple of days when I went out to play, I was thinking about two things that I don't normally think about when I putt, and I, and I putted really not as good as I normally do because I was thinking about some technique there, and I'm not faulting anybody for that. I'm not faulting um, Steven, and I wasn't playing anything that mattered, but when Steven asked me, what did you feel when you were putting your best? It's a really hard question sometimes for hmm. players to, to think about something they did subconsciously and put it into, you know, a language that somebody's going to understand because it would, 
the, the great players were just so good at doing this without really mm-hmm. having to think about what they were doing. Yeah. And that, that's going to be our challenge forever, isn't it? That's, that's what, how do you keep that athlete inside while still helping them to improve mm-hmm. their technique? Or do they really need to improve technique? Yeah. Uh, that's going to be a, an age forever question. It is. It's fascinating. It really is. Um, I talk to a lot of teachers and sometimes they'll confide in me and they'll, you know, they'll, sometimes I just, they, they feel like I just let them go and just let them vent a little bit about, you know, the ups and downs as a coach because there's no perfect path and there's so many brilliant teachers and what they know and the study of the game. It's no, there's no question it's advanced us. There's no question, but the art of it, right. in, in teaching and bringing back to reality and you're working with a human being. And if the narrative is about the PGA tour player, there's a genius inside already, right? It's already in there. So it's, how do you tap into that? And and it's a sensitive, sensitive thing. Um, because it feels like, it feels like that if you go in there and you make the wholesale changes, it's riskier. And sometimes you come out on the other end, but, if you take that player down that path and it doesn't work and you're measuring and you're quantifying and they're not statistically a better putter, then they lose their confidence even more. Right. I mean, like they, now they've lost their confidence completely. And it's like, it's almost like I I use the analogy of Sean Foley told me this analogy. He said, you take them down this path and you're walking up the bridge and and pretty soon you, you, you take them so far down this different path and you go up the bridge and you look back and you're like, you can't, you can't see land anymore. Yeah. And you're like, man, we just got to keep walking. And eventually you're like, man, we're going to get to that top of that bridge. And you know what? We're going to start walking down the other side and things are going to get easier. And eventually you're going to be able to see land on the other side. But there's always that moment as you're going down that path. And I feel like this is where we are with Scotty right now. And maybe even the next guy I'm going to show you, we're walking up that bridge and he's looking back. He's like, where the hell am I right now? (laughs) Like, I don't even, I can't maybe even remember what I used to do. That genius, because I look and feel so different, but yet you're telling me the numbers are good, right? Yeah. And now, Brad, I, I just, you know, now you're in a tough spot. You know, and every teacher's made this, every teacher has made this, this, every teacher's been there. If you've worked with these kinds of players and even different, and even I would say some amateur players, you've made this mistake because it's not that perfect art. But I think the analogy is valid that Sean, he told me was, man, you get up there close to the top of that bridge, man, you can't, you can't see land on either side. That's a, it's a stressful, that's a stressful moment. to be in and, you know <clears throat> you, you you know scotty scheffler was number one in the world for two years winning major championships um statistically not putting well but his comments were always like i feel like i'm rolling pretty well i'm hitting good putts and something's changed where he's he, i think he's felt like he's had to do something dramatic and i don't know if that comes from himself if that comes from ted scott his caddy from randy the whole team his wife um you don't know what makes you want to make these wholesale changes um, and, and maybe 
going down this path will get him back to a place where he's more comfortable. Because uh, I mm-hmm. think PGA Tour needs Scotty Scheffler. You know, yes. Fun sure do. Uh, the class person that he is. Um, you know, I I think these players have had you know the ability to have conversations with other past greats, but all I know is I can't become a, a, a great coach if all I do is tell a student what I used to do, right? Mm. I have to help them. And, and it, that's that's been the, the biggest learning point for me is, okay, if I'm going to help someone, I can't just tell them this is what I do, just do what I do. And I think that's what most of the conversations, and like like Ali Trevino, you know, when he mm. starts talking to these players at the father-son, he, he's really just showing off the shots that he used to hit. <laughs> Up with, you know, he's, he's the ultimate entertainer, right? <laughs> That's right. And it's funny, but I don't know if that really helps either. Yeah. You know, you know who I would go to um, dinner with if I was out there every single week? This guy. This guy is one of the best putters that I've ever watched. Danny McCarthy. And I had him on, I had him on, um, the podcast at the end of last year. And I said, you just look like you intimidate the daylights out of me just by the way you walk up to the ball. <laughs> like you just look like a great putter. I mean, just swag and up to the green. And man, I mean, obviously he's got a great stroke, but he just, it just absorbs it. You can feel it when you watch it and you're in his presence and he talks about it. You know, Danny McCarthy, one of the, great putters um on the PGA tour and a great guy that um I um that I hope gets in the winner circle. I, I really do. He's put on some good work um with his swing. I gotta I, I know you gotta you run you're playing golf today. I, I gotta ask you about one more person. Go ahead. Talk about Dennis and, and Dennis. Do it. There's so much good in here and, and you okay. can right out of the out of the box. When when he looks like a horse where the gate is just opened and he's gotta get out to a quick start, right? Mm-hmm. He, he looks like he can't wait to hit this putt. Um, and, you know, one of the things I talk to my players about is this idea of continuous motion. Mm-hmm. And at no point in his entire routine here, as he stopped or as he stagnant, as he's still, what, feet are moving, hips are moving back and forth, fingers are moving, heads moving. Uh, the amount of attention, watch, watch how many times he's looked at the target um, before he hits that. He, he has complete control of his imagery of, of, of where he wants his ball to go and where he wants it to start with, without having to have a tremendous amount of feels. Um, you know, look at that. He's never still. Yeah. That's an athlete hitting a putt. Um, I even love um, his head releases after impact. He's not trying to keep his eyes down, his eyes still, his head still. Um, everything about what Denny McCarthy does is what I would embody if you were trying to become a better putter and and I would show that to Scotty Scheffler and say, beat him. Oh, man. Like, you just look at – I got to pause here. I mean, look at that. It looks like he's walking on the beach. I mean, he's so like, – he is walking on the beach. He's so comfortable. And, I mean, I said, you just intimidate the daylights out of me and the way you just approach the ball. <laughs> like, you're in such freedom. And, and to your point, just continuous motion. I could watch this guy putt for hours. Walking up to the ball and that, see how his right hand's holding the, the grip end of the putter. I'm sure mm-hmm. the, the grip pressure there is on the light end. This is like this is the instrument. You know, this is um, how I do my work. Um, 
I, I see a very right-sided stroke here, right-feeling stroke when, when I watch him. Uh, it's beautiful. Interesting. All right, last one here. So I had a, a little breakdown yesterday on the pod, or on Tuesday, rather. And I, I just said, look, it's time for an intervention here for Tony. I, I cannot, Brad, watch Tony Finau put like that on the left, what we've seen to this point. I mean, when you talk about rocking the boat in changes, in doing something dramatically different, and maybe maybe he needs to go to this end of the extreme to get to reestablish middle ground. I, I don't know. But when I look at when Tony was at least um, statistically a middle-of-the-pack putter uh, on the PGA Tour, he was much more upright. Now, you look at the right, he's he's had variation of the right-hand grip. But, Brad, he was much more, say, a la Brad Faxon, Steve Stricker, where the left wrist was, you know, more unhinged per, per se, right, versus a lot of angle in the left wrist, which then, you know, puts that right form in a very different position, um, the hands to the body, very different position. Obviously, look at the toe of the club off the ground. I mean, I, I just, boy, I, I look at this and it feels desperate. Um, and I don't, is it is it desperate at this point for Tony with the flat stick? Because what we saw, um, you know, last week, um, man, if he just putts at all, he wins. He's such a brilliant ball striker. Uh, when you When you look at this, the difference between Tony on the right, Tony on the left. What's the, what, what comes to your mind? I, I remember a, a great Japanese player when I grew up named Aseo Aoki. Uh, Aoki yep. putted with a, a, a bullseye-like looking putter. It wasn't a bullseye, but it was kind of almost heel-shafted blade um, where he had the toe way off the ground. His hands very low like that and kind of a uh, up-and-out pop stroke. Um, and he was excellent at it. Um, you know, when you have a six foot four guy like Tony, uh, with a shot that flat and the ball so far away from him, it just looks like there's no way anybody could be consistent uh, with a setup like that. And it makes you, it makes you cringe. Um, it does. Cringe a lot too, because he's, like you said, he's one of the greatest guys and easiest guys to pull for, um, the type of person he is. Um, and yeah, I, again, I, I, I like his posture a lot better on the, the picture on the right. I, I mean, there's a lot going on there. Um, and I, I just, I, I'd love to find a way for players to make things simpler, not more difficult. I think if there's one guy that needs to come talk to you, it's Tony. Well, yeah, I, mean, I I'd certainly, I think I, I would love to talk to him. I would love to talk yeah. to Scheffler. I don't know that I could help them, um, but I could understand more why they're doing this stuff, I think. Um, and you, you watch what this game does to some of the great players in the world. Yeah. It's mind-boggling. It's frustrating. Um, and then it kind of makes you shake your head. You know, my sometimes people listen to the pod and they say, well, you're, you're critique and you're too harsh. I'm like, I, look, I'm not – I'm half jokingly about this a little bit to some degree um, with Tony because I like Tony. Uh, Boyd Summer is one of my favorite people in the industry. I mean, he is the salt of the earth and so is Tony. Um, and so I, I know it's frustrating for these guys. And I say it because, you know, I want, I, I just don't, I don't believe the picture on the left is what Tony Finau should be doing. And to see that is, is disheartening. And 
And so it's like, okay, I joke that an intervention is needed here and Tony needs to go back to how his best putting was and it was much more upright and these kinds of things that we see on the right. And I, and I think that conversation applies to Scotty Scheffler too um, and how that he, he was a genius and would be a much better putter. It's in there. And I think sometimes we, as a player and even as a coach, we, we start going down a path where maybe the numbers are telling us to do this, or in some ways it's, it's just desperation. We got to try something so different. Um, you just hope that they can find their way back because gosh, if Scotty Scheffler is an upper third putter on the PGA tour, God, I'm on the record, Brad saying he was going to win five or six times this year. No doubt. And, and <laughs> He's that good. Tony, Tony as well. And you mentioned Boyd Summerhays. When, when you think about the elite instructors now, this kind of the, the new wave of instructors um, moving on from the Harmons, Boyd Summerhays, I mean, what he's done with his kids, have fantastic. Oh. All the players that he's helped. He, he's got to be one of the smartest. Phenomenal. It's not just uh, technique. I agree. That's why I, I appreciate that out of Boyd. Um, you know, his, his, all his players look a little different, you know, and, and that's what, you know, Butch, I think was very much about, right. He was all, they all looked different and, you know, I mean, greatest teacher of all time wasn't out there just measuring every centimeter of the swing or the short game or the putting stroke, right. I mean, Tiger Woods, greatest player of all time, Jack Nick. I mean, they're not like, there's a place for it. I think it's moved our, um, industry along but i think your voice and we'll we'll finish with this um even though maybe you were reluctant to get up there because you couldn't explain the number of the you know spin lop and that's not part of your you know your repertoire your voice is still very much needed you know and you know i think we gotta you know we gotta keep we gotta keep that dialogue going because it's not all about measurement mentioned Tom Kite early in the show. He was a guy that told me he was trying to find ways. He was one of the first players that went to a 63 wedge. He, he was trying to find ways to take spin-off shots. Brett Rumford, who, I mean, he's the envy of everybody with a sand wedge, whether it's out, the, <laughs> yeah. sand, out of the, the, the rough or around the green. Um, he said the same thing. His, his, he posted a couple of things. He actually was texting me while I was on the panel. Uh, I had asked him to send me a down-the-line pitch shot and it was from 12 to 13 yards and he hold it you know like you would expect but it didn't look like it was going in there with a ton of spin it just yeah. looked like what you would want to see with a beautiful motion and a great tempo um, and easy to repeat he got the blue man wrong by the way you know i posted you know the blue man out there the swing and guess who it is and and I told you it was Smiley Kaufman, and a lot of people guess. And and he tech he he sent me a DM and he says that's Alex Norton. I said nope, it's Smiley. He's like oh yeah okay. <laughs> yeah, I gotta get I gotta get him on. I mean he's he's a brilliant mind, and and I love uh, I love his approach. Brad, I know you gotta go play golf. I can't thank you enough for uh, joining us here um, on the podcast. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Travis. Nice to be on the show with you.